All right. Welcome, everybody. Sunday school. Learning about Revelations, uh, the book of Revelation. So we'll turn there and then we'll say a prayer as we get started. We'll be in Revelation chapter number 10 and 11 today. Okay. We'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all that we have and thank you for how much you care for us, for the freedoms that we do have, and we just pray that we would always be grateful for those things that we have and help us, watch over us, and protect us. Be with us, Lord. We ask for your presence and come and make this time special. Speak to our hearts through your word. And we thank you for all the opportunities we have. Thank you for our fathers and our lives and the good things that you've given to us. And just pray that you would bless our families and watch over them throughout this week. And bring us back safely, we pray. In your name, amen. All right, so we are talking again about Revelation chapter 10 and 11. Okay, and to do a very quick summary, I've told you from the beginning about the theme of the book of Revelation. It has two subparts. Do you remember? Most important Jesus part. Okay, so Jesus is supreme. And God. Jesus is supreme, and God is in control. Okay, that is still. The theme of the book, and we have gotten into some very chaotic times in the book, okay? We've seen a third of the trees and all the grass wiped away, okay? We have seen crazy creatures coming that sting like scorpions, okay, with women's hair and, and breastplates and all sorts of things. Yes, maybe like that, all right? So uh, we've seen different things come about, but the whole idea is that he's showing you heaven's side of, of the story, right? It is not this chaotic, the world is shaken and falling apart. It is God saying, okay, release that. Okay, do this. We're going to do this. And why does he do that? Why does the end of the world happen in the way that it does? Okay, because God's overarching plan is mercy, right? He wants mercy, and he does not want that any should be lost, but that all should be saved, okay? He knows that there are some that will not. But he still, in his justice and in his mercy, gives chance after chance, intensifying the focus of people to say, I really do need God. Okay, that, that's the point. I really do need God. Somewhere along the line, you would think if these crazy stinging creatures were running after you, you might think to yourself, maybe I need somebody bigger than me. Maybe I can't control this life. Okay? But what we find is the, the remnant of people that are left at this point, there are some who are sealed in their, in their foreheads, right? But there are a remnant of people left that no matter what God does, they get harder 
and more angry, and they turn away from God. Okay? So it is making the differences between those who make those decisions more and more clear. I would say even a time like we're living in right now is separating people, right? It is making those who believe one way and those who believe another way more and more distant from one another, okay? And that is the nature of what is happening at the end times is the nature of the way God has said, I, I will separate the sheep from the goats. I'm going to take those people who are mine and who will have me. And those who will not have me, well, then I won't have them. Because they would not have me. Okay? God is asking. God is waiting patiently. And every step is another patient wait. We're going to see a couple more that happened today. Okay? So, as they, as they come along in there, we have seen the book, right? The, the scroll comes up with seven seals, okay? And so you get one through six, and then the seventh seal has in it seven trumpets, okay? So we have seven trumpets. And we go one through six. And then the seventh seems to have a whole new, and we're kind of in the midst of, the, of coming up to the seventh today. We'll see the seventh trumpet blown, and then we will see a continuation of what happens. Again, God's mercy inside of God's mercy inside of God's mercy, because not only is his mercy infinite, but it is infinitesimal. You understand what that means? Infinite meaning a very large, large amount, big and huge, overarching, but infinitesimal mean I take a very small piece and chop it up into very, very, very tiny things, okay? Because his mercy continues on every little detail in our life, along with the whole world at the same time, all right? That's, that's a unique part of God. All right, so let's go to chapter 10. We're starting out meeting a new character today, uh, and he is mighty, man, all right? So, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, nice and loud, please. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, cloth with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roared, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven say unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them down. Alright, so here we are. He's a mighty big angel. He's dressed in a cloud. He's got a rainbow around his head. His legs are like lightning, fire-burning things. He's big enough that he stands one leg on the sea and one leg on the land. Okay? That's a mighty big guy. Okay? <laughs> Maybe, I guess. But I'm guessing he's pretty big because when he calls out, thunder answers back. Okay? So if thunder listens to you, probably you're, you're pretty you know, powerful guy. He is up there, and he's got a little tiny book in his hand. All right? A mighty big angel with a little tiny book. 
All right? He's going to do something very strange with the book coming up. But more so what he says is, okay, there is these seven thunders. And John has watched and watched and watched. And everything till then, write it down, write it down, write it down. The seven thunders peel out their call upon what's going to happen. And a voice says, don't write that. You can't write that. That's secret till the end time. Okay? So, how bad is it? How good is it? What secret does it hold? We will not know until we get to the end. Alright? There are things within God's plan that He doesn't reveal to us. Have you noticed that we just sort of switch from scene to scene to scene, right, in this book. And if you read it, there's some continuity. But it is hard because you're in heaven, you're on earth, you're, and God is giving you his picture, right? And so we look at this picture, and we've forgotten about heaven at that point. But God can look at the whole thing, right, all at once. He sees it all. Down from every piece of every person's heart, all the way up to heaven and earth and all the universe and beyond all at one time. He sees that. So he's saying, well, look, here, this is what I'm doing here. And this is what's happening here. And that's what I'm doing over here. And so John is getting kind of a movie at each time, right? I'm going to write down what happens and write down the things I see as I get a new scene shifted in front of me. But are these things, some of these things may be happening at the same time. And we'll find that some next week as you step back and look at a bigger picture. Now, this is what's happening, but God's got some bigger things he's doing all at once, okay? So that's a couple things we will see next week. Here is this monster, monster angel, and saying, don't write down. You know, voice comes right out of him, don't write down that. That's for the end times, okay? That's sealed up. Nobody gets to see that until the very end, okay? So, um... Let's continue with verse 5 through 7, please. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven, and the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall be into sound, the mystery of God shall be finished as he hath declared to his servants. Alright, so here we are, the mystery of God. The mystery of God is coming about. Um, and it's going to be revealed. And that's what this seventh trumpet is about, is revealing the mystery of God. All of these things will be made more plain, okay, as the mystery gets opened up. Because the end times, this is, this is the interesting part to most mankind, the end times has been fascinating. There are many people who do not believe in God that believe the earth will come to an end. Right? They believe in Armageddon or some big battle. They believe that there is an end to all this somewhere along the line. They may not give the credit to God. But God has said, look, I wrote you the story. I'm going to tell you exactly what happens. And as you see them unfolding in front of you, ones that were written you know, a couple thousand years ago, these prophecies, God has John write them down, and all of a sudden you look and say, oh, wow, that really did happen. 
huh, isn't that odd? No one would ever have thought that. Right? And as we see those things increase, whether it's where what Jesus told us in the Gospels or what is in the book of Daniel uh, or other prophecies that we see throughout the Old Testament, okay, in Isaiah and other places we see and, and, and things keep coming true. This is part of God's message to say, look, it's my mystery and I'm telling you pieces of it so that when you get there you'll know it's still mine. Right? It's mine. I, it belongs to me. I wrote the story. Okay? I'm the one that's putting it the way I want it at the end. So believe in me. So when he does that, the seventh trumpet is about to sound. All right? But first, we get some interesting instructions from the angel. Verse 8 through 11 of chapter 10, please. All right, so here he is, you know, go up to the angel and ask him for the book. Right, the one with the fiery legs, yeah, right, <laughs> that one. So, but he does, give me the book, okay? The angel hands it down, okay, eat it, all right? And when you eat it, this little book, it's going to taste sweet to begin with. It's going to be sweet. You're going to like it at first. But then when it finally hits bottom, and sometimes you eat something like a fried food or something like later, like, oh, that was really bad. It tasted so good when I did it. And then I regret eating that, right? It became bitter inside. So, all right. This is a strange little piece. And if you, if you look what people have said about this little book, there is a million opinions on what the little book is and why does he eat it and what happens to it uh, and why is it sweet and why is it bitter. But ultimately, if you look at his instructions at the end, I think it gives a little more clarity. Now, I think it could mean a few, other, a few things, but if you look at those very instructions, the angel said unto me, verse 11, he must... That thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Okay? That's why you have to eat this book. You have to consume it. It has to be a part of you in order for it to come out of you. If you're ever going to sing a song, in order to sing it in a way that will touch other people, you have to feel it. You can't fake that. You gotta live it. You gotta feel it. You gotta understand it. And it comes out of you in your song, right? If you're an artist and you're gonna paint a picture, you're gonna live something, feel something, you're gonna express something you feel. Right? So in order for John to express this. He's got to live it somehow. 
He's got to feel it. He's got to taste the sweetness and yet the bitterness of it all. all right? So whether the book is representative of God's word or it's representative of prophecy in itself in a, in a more specific way, okay, many of the things that God's, or, or even something else, I mean there are other options that people have said, the whole point here is that he feels it, and when he goes and tells other people, he's, his instructions are go to other nations, kindreds, tongues, you know, people across the world need to hear this message. And his book of Revelation gets to the world over. The Bible is the most printed book in all the world. Okay? And so this has to be real to people. And so a lot of it he's telling, but I think you see within him, he tells you when he weeps, right? And he feels those things because there was no hope without the lamb that could open the seals. And he, he, he tells you about his feelings in it. He tells you about experiencing this, all right, and, and what he feels along the way. And then he goes out with passion because what's the bitterness in prophecy? And what's the sweetness? Think about this book. Okay, bad stuff happens, all right? And you've not seen the end yet, right? I mean, you know the end maybe, but you haven't seen the details of the end. But bad stuff happens to lots of people, but yet there's a sweet side because God is protecting his own. He has sealed his people. He is bringing them to the end. And then you will see in the last couple chapters, the tone of the book changes tremendously. The sad, the, the, the happy part, the sweet part of it is that the, this world will stop. Sin will stop. All the bad things that you are starting to see more and more and more of, the hatred and the anger and the separations, it's going to get intense. But there's an end. That's the significance of the tiny book, right? There's a limit to it. It only goes so far before it's done. And so the tiny book that he eats and says, ooh, that tastes good because there's an end, but oh, that's terrible what happens on the way right it, it's got a sweet peace because of the salvation end of what god has but a very bitter feeling as you walk through it okay. the the times in which we live as we ever grow closer to these times and i don't know whether this happens in our life or this doesn't happen in our life it definitely everything is set in motion Okay, and that's all in God's plan. It could happen. We could live through a great deal of this. We could see these things in our lifetime. And that's exciting, but with that, the world changes. Things are taken away and lost. The beauty and the precious things are often stripped away as God helps people to try to turn to him. He strips away the blessings of things. 
that he gave to them regardless. Okay? So as you see that, you live in that time and it becomes bitter to live through those things. But the sweetness is even more sweet when you've lived bitter. Okay? When you have seen your freedom stripped away, they are more precious to you. When you have not seen them ever touched in your life, they don't really matter. Not deeply. Not really to you. Okay? But when you watch them getting taken, then all of a sudden they are worth more than you can ever pay for. Okay? So, next chapter as we pop through here, uh, verses 1 and 2. Please read that, chapter 11. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Okay? So here we go. We got the 42 months thing. 42 months. Uh, I think it's 1260 days. Also works out to be three and a half years. And we're going to start to see these, um, these times used interchangeably throughout. Okay? Um, the whole point is there's this period of time in which it intensifies, all right? This is the great tribulation, the final peace, seven years um, of, of when the Antichrist comes in the first three and a half years, and then the final three and a half years of mankind is when the very worst is poured out, all right? So remember, though, those who have the seal of God in their forehead are protected. They're affected still by things that happen, but God will give them protection throughout because he has them specifically protected. Okay, so in this time, we see he goes out and he measures the temple and not the outer court, but the inside uh, and the altar and, and measures it all up. And he's out there with a reed. They used to use like a ruler kind of thing and count the reeds. Flip it over and flip it over and flip it over. And here he is measuring it. Okay? Because what's going to happen is preparing to say the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is going to see a great deal of turmoil in the end times. Okay? Turmoil specifically there and even in the temple, okay, which currently doesn't exist. It has been torn down years and years ago. Okay, but there's a great movement to rebuild the temple. So that's another piece to watch for. So we're not sure exactly how it happens, uh, but it seems to be involved in the end times. But the Gentiles are the ones who are going to come and destroy it. I mean, the people that are not Jewish are going to come and trample on Jerusalem. Okay? Armies, things like that, you'll see. They take the brunt. All right. Verses 3 through 9, please. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, both in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, 
Fire proceeded out of their mouth and devoured their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and to have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the city of a great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is and they of, of the people and kindreds and tongues of nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Okay, so here's two, three, actually, interesting characters that show up for the first time. All right? We've got two witnesses, because it seems as though during this time of great turmoil and struggle uh, in this three and a half years or 1260 days, okay, that these, God says, I'm going to send a special two people in and they're going to talk about me. So here's the theory on that, yes. People's theory is that Elijah is a man who has never had never died. He was just taken up on a chariot of fire, okay? And so, and there's also Enoch, who was translated, okay? So, never died, it seems. And so, there's theory that that's the two witnesses that will show back up in the end times, okay? Pretty powerful, pretty close to God, and having a message to say, repent. You're there. And those people who come after them, and they're going to be hated. These people are going to be really hated, these two guys. I would not want to be these two guys. But those people who come after them, imagine be two guys, we got the message, right? And just two people that show up on earth and all of a sudden everybody is after you. But when people come after them, they are given some very unique powers that I don't know if they call it down or God uses it, but when someone comes after them and tries to kill them, they drop dead fire comes out of them, out of their mouth. I, I don't know exactly what happens and how God does it, okay? Bang, they drop dead, okay? These are not going to be your average people, okay? <laughs> These are not average people. But the world will hate them. Even when they do miracles, and you have not seen that before, where when somebody does something miraculous, people have flocked to them. But these people they will hate because they are all about the message to God. So he go, they go, and they are going to kill him. Finally, they're going to kill him. Okay, God's going to allow him to be killed after three and a half years. They will be in there. The world will hate them. And the world will watch. They are so hated that where they are killed, they are left. They will not bury him. No one will have enough mercy on them or enough grace. Anybody, people would say, let's bury a body, right? Pay respect to the dead. Nope. Leave them right there. In fact, it's worse than that. As three and a half days pass, people are angry at them. All right? And they watch. And they're going to do something really, really showing their true colors. Okay? I'll read verse 10. 
And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So they're going to have a party as they watch their dead bodies rotting in the streets. Okay? Because the people that have left have no respect for God, no respect for life, no respect for anything that really matters spiritually. They only care about themselves. And now that annoying pain that those two guys were is gone. Let's have a party. We don't have to listen to those guys anymore. And it says across the world, people and kindreds and tongues and nations. So how does the whole nation within three and a half days know the news of these people? Well, for a long time that wasn't possible until you get something like the Internet where things can travel in a moment's notice across the world. The whole world knows, and the whole world has a big party, right? And I'm sure there'll be pictures of them and videos of them laying dead in the streets, okay? And people will send gifts to one another. I mean, it's pretty amazing the depravity of man, what is left at that point. Okay? You will see it will get more and more... Uh, depraved. All right. So uh, let's continue with verse 11 through 14, please. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And as they, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake. So here they are, after three and a half days of them laying dead in the streets, everybody's seen them, everybody has big parties, and all of a sudden God says, stand up, and up they come. Yeah, right. Three and a half days, those guys have been dead in the streets. Okay, and now they stand up, and people are scared to death. Because they watched them die. They knew they'd been dead. Right. And, and, right. and then comes God's voice down from heaven and says, come on up, boys, you did your job. Just what you were supposed to do. Well, I don't know about that, and I don't know. You have to watch them go up. Well, they do watch them go up, okay? Up into heaven as those real guys raise their bodies right up out of the, off of the dead, off the streets where they've been laying, okay? It's going to be times where they're going to see things that no one has ever seen before. Okay? God put this together to make it an amazing thing. So he does. He raises them up off of the streets. They come up out of heaven. And when it does, there's an earthquake that kills 7,000 people at that moment. Okay? Just in the earthquake itself. 7,000 people. That's a lot of people in an earthquake. Okay? All right. So, now finally, verse 15, after this, after the three and a half years, we get this. Verse 15 through 17. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God in those seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord, God Almighty, which art and must and art to come, and thou hast taken to thee thy great power and thy strength. 
Here it is. God is in charge of man's kingdoms now. They all thought they were in charge. And now God is really going to show them that he has everything perfectly set out. All right? And that is the seventh trumpet. As it blows, the seventh trumpet, everybody realizes it's time. God is taking control now. So there's a sweet part and yet a bitter part because it's taken that, that very bitter attitude that people have and, it's, and, and only judgment comes out of that over time. All right? And verse number 18, here's an interesting one. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. All right? One big sign of what's going to happen as the end time increases is it says the nations will be angry. Been feeling that lately in our nation, right? As things grow up and you're like, why? What is even going on that was different yesterday that's not that way anymore? But God has said, when I let off of my control that I've been keeping sin under control, and when people go and feel like they can do whatever they want, then you will see the anger just spike out of control. Right? You will see it for not always an apparent reason. It will just happen. It will increase. It will intensify as they go. All right? And we have seen separations. Families, friends, people, races. You've seen the separations as anger grows. Okay? It's going to happen. And it's going to be even worse. Last verse... Uh, uh, before we do that, it's to know that the final time, as they get angrier, God says, look at I'm, I'm doing this task. I'm going to separate out, and I'm going to protect my people. All the people, little and big, little faith and big faith, those people who believe in my promises, I am going to reward my people, and those people who will not have me, they will get what they wish for. I will not be with them any longer. So finally, God is moving, and verse number 19, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunders and an earthquake and great hail. Okay? I mean, this all these things are violently happening, but God is moving, and that's where you're going to see God is moving. And there will be no one who's going to stop him. God is moving. And when God starts to move, it has all to do with his promises. And his promises are good forever. So the very same thing that he promised us before is still true, even though the world is being shaken apart. All right? Right at the right timing, too. <laughs> the world is being shaken apart, okay? But God's promises are still true during that whole process. All right. So next week we're going to come back. We're going to see what God is doing in a bigger sense. And Satan is going to get intensely involved. The beast that came out to 
bother the two witnesses and go after the two witnesses. We didn't talk much about him today, but we will see more of what he has to do uh, next week. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us.